there's a saying that experience is the best teacher. It means that we learn best when we experience something, when we go through something ourselves. It's one thing to be told that parenting is hard. It's quite another to have kids of your own. It's one thing to watch a baseball player try to hit a 90 mile per hour fastball. It's another to stand in the batter's box yourself. It's one thing to watch a movie about a worldwide pandemic. It's quite another to live through it ourselves. When we experience something for ourselves, it becomes more real, more meaningful, and more powerful in our lives. And this is true in all areas of life and something that I have personally learned firsthand. I started in full-time ministry when I was 21 years old. I had recently graduated college and was hired to be a full-time ministry director on the campus of Oregon State University. So here I was, shiny young Christian from the deep south from the Bible Belt, moving to the most unchurched part of the country, and I thought I was hired because I had all the answers. I was talented and gifted. I, I thought I knew how to grow a huge, impressive ministry. As you might guess, it did not quite turn out that way. I had lots of disappointing nights where no one showed up to Bible studies and events. I had several frustrating conversations with college students who had no interest whatsoever in Jesus or the Gospels. I started to realize something that I had a head full of theological ideas, but no ability to make it relevant to the lives of those students. And I, and I came to understand that they didn't just need information about Jesus, but they needed to experience what a life with Jesus might actually mean for them. So I'll spare you the long version, but we intentionally set out to build a ministry that would invite students to be a part of what God wanted to do in their lives and in the world. And by God's blessings, we grew. We saw students come to know and follow Jesus. And there was no magic. There was nothing worth writing a book about. We just simply started with a small group of students. We modeled together what we wanted to see in the world. And then we invited others to come and experience it alongside of us, to serve with us and to pray with us. Now, I want you to think about all the stuff going on in our world today. We're dealing with a global pandemic that just keeps going. There is hunger and cries for racial justice. There's a contentious election. There are wildfires across the western part of our country. There's a struggling economy. When the world is crying out, maybe just maybe more information only goes so far. If we, if the church, wants to offer something to the world, maybe we have to model together what we want to see the world know and experience about Jesus. And then we can invite others to come experience that alongside of us. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the Courageous Future Church we're going to look at what it would mean for CPC to have a courageous future where God uses us to make a difference in our community and in the world. Today we're going to start with this, really simple. When we let Jesus transform us, he will use us to transform the world. When we let Jesus transform us, he will use us to transform the world. 
Our mission at CPC is to boldly extend the invitation that Jesus makes to us to everyone. But if we want to actually accomplish that, if we want to do that, we have to experience the invitation ourselves first. Because if we don't experience it ourselves, we'll never believe it's worth inviting someone else into. And if we're not clear on this, we might be incredibly busy as a church, but miss out on what God actually wants to do in us and through us in our future. Because the truth is, we can do a lot of good stuff as a church, stuff that we enjoy, that makes us feel busy and successful and happy and, and still not see people's lives changed. It happens in churches every single day. We would not have to look long or look far to find churches full of people going about what they always do, but who have become increasingly irrelevant to the world. If that's true of us, if we don't see people's lives changed, I believe the answer to why will be incredibly clear. It'll be because Jesus is not transforming and changing us. When we look at scripture, we see a pattern over and over again. God does something for his people that he wants to do for the whole world. God does something for his people that he wants to do for the whole world. So we're going to look at a text together today in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn there. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. It says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There are three really important things I want you to see in this text, and I would encourage you to jot them down. So if you don't have a pen, pencil, paper with you right now, pause the video, go find something to write on and come back and pick back up because I would love for you to write these things down. The first is this, God creates a new family from scratch. The letter of 1 Peter was written to some of the earliest Christians and the earliest Christians were in churches made up of both Jewish and non-Jewish people. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar or a sociologist to understand that Jews and non-Jews were not from the same families. They were not from the same ethnic background. And this is important to note because the author intentionally uses the Greek word genos, as in a chosen genos, which we usually translate as race in English. But genos should actually be translated as clan. Genos means clan. Clan is an obscure word, which means we often translate the word race, which is way more familiar. But what is a clan? A clan is a word for a family. In the ancient world, family was some of the most important sociological structures that existed. You, you had the, the bonds of your life formed within your family. Inside of a family is where you understood who you were. It's where you formed your identity. It's where you wrestled with what was possible for your life. So God takes people from all kinds of different family backgrounds and he makes them a new family from scratch because he wants to give us 
a new identity. He wants to show us what's possible for our lives. And inside of a family, inside of a clan, is the best place to experience that for ourselves. Which leads us to the next thing I want you to note. God's family is meant to be different for a purpose. This passage is full of references to Old Testament scriptures. Two very important phrases from the Old Testament I want to make sure you catch. Royal priesthood and holy nation. God's people are called holy, which is a biblical word for set apart or special or different. God is different and therefore his people are meant to be different. But not different for the sake of being different. We all know those people who just enjoy being weird for the sake of being weird. That's not what we're talking about here. God's people are meant to be different so that they can reveal something to the world about God who is different. Which is why he also then calls them a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, God gave his people a priesthood. Priests were a very special class of Old Testament Israelite that had a special relationship with God for the purposes of helping the whole nation have a special relationship with God. Priests were different for a purpose. I want you to think about a very still pond and dropping a rock in the pond and watching the circles go out. It starts in close and then it goes out. God had a relationship with his priest. The priest then had a relationship with the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel was meant to model that with the whole world. It starts in close and then it goes out. This was God's purpose for his Old Testament people. Now there's a lot going on here, but hang with me. The church in the New Testament fulfills God's purposes for his Old Testament people, which means... We are all members of the priesthood. Let that sink in for a second. If you're thinking, hold on, I, I didn't get any training for that. Relax. It simply means that it's our responsibility as Christ followers to show the world what Jesus has done for us. And that's the third thing I want you to see in the text. God's family lives in response to what Jesus has done. When you read verse 9, it seems like it's saying, wow, look how special we are. But then verse 10 says, well, hold on a minute. It says, once you were not a people because you had not received God's mercy, but now you are a people because you have received God's mercy. You see, we don't deserve to be in the family. No matter how much you achieve in this life, it's not something you can just earn your way into. Those in God's family are supposed to be like the head of the family, to be like God. And no matter how special we think we are, no matter how special others tell us we are, we have all acted in ways that show that we are nothing like God. So only because of Jesus' death and resurrection can broken and selfish humans like you and me be included in God's holy different set-apart family. Jesus does for us what we could never do for ourselves. Through his grace and his mercy, he brings us near to the God who is different so that we might live different lives in response to what he's done for us. 
these words in 1 Peter are written to Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. Their lives were literally on the line for believing this. And they could have easily abandoned it. They could have easily just moved on, saving themselves all kinds of trouble. And this is true for us too. We may not actually experience the kind of persecution the way these early Christians do, but we are just as easily tempted to abandon our commitment to Jesus and move on to something else, aren't we? We have so many distractions. We have so many options on the table. We have to decide just like they did. Is this worth it? Does this matter? Is this something I'm committed to? And here's how they responded. They clung to the mercy of Jesus because everything else paled in comparison. They had experienced something so beautiful and so powerful and so transformative in their lives that they could not help but live in response to it. You and I experience the power of Jesus firsthand and it changes everything. When we let Jesus transform us, he will use us to transform the world. Rodney Stark who was a historian and sociologist who studied the spread of the early church in the first few centuries after Christ, said this. It's a long quote, hang in there. Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships to cope with many urgent urban problems. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. What a beautiful description of God's people caring for God's world in their deepest need. His point was that the church grew and flourished because it demonstrated an unfathomable love for the world. But that was only possible because they had known themselves and experienced firsthand the unfathomable love of Jesus Christ. The church will make a difference in the world when Jesus makes a difference in our lives. When I think about the future of CPC right now, I long for a day when we're able to have everyone gathered back together on a Sunday morning. No masks, everyone sitting side by side, singing at the top of their lungs, handshakes and hugs, laughing at the preacher's jokes. But seriously, I cannot tell you how much our staff looks forward to a day where we can be together without any trace of a pandemic. But as much as we long for that day, that is not our mission. It's honestly not. I'm as tired as you are of masks and pre-registering and limited capacities, but the mission is not to get back to normal. The mission is to invite everyone to see that what Jesus has done for any one of us, he wants to do for everyone. We have to remind ourselves of this. We have to tell ourselves this over and over through the ups and the downs of life, that that's what's most 
important. One of the most important figures of the Protestant Reformation in 16th century Europe was Martin Luther. And I thought about how to explain to you who Martin Luther is, but then I realized that pretty much every street corner in Minnesota has a Lutheran church on it, so you probably have some awareness of the name of Martin Luther. But the leaders of the Protestant Reformation, like Martin Luther, faced a ton of challenges. They went through so many hard days. They believed strongly in the courageous future of Jesus' church, but they had many roadblocks in their way. And the story goes that whenever he was particularly anxious or struggling, Martin Luther was known to say one phrase over and over again. In Latin, it was baptizatus sum. In English, I am baptized. It's a pithy way of saying my life has been marked by the death and resurrection of Jesus and I am forever changed. And that changes everything for me. So when we think about our faith, when we think about the future of CPC through frustrations and doubts and celebration and rejoicing, we have to remind ourselves over and over and over again, it starts with Jesus. So today I'm asking you to commit your life to Jesus. And I'm asking you to commit to the future of CPC, to be a part of this courageous future that we believe that God has for us. Over the coming weeks, our pastors are going to challenge you to be all in here, to join in the mission because we believe God has something for us to do together. And if that's going to make any tangible difference in the world, it has to start with Jesus. Imperfect, earnest, heartfelt, honest commitment to Jesus. If you'd like to talk further about that, please message myself or one of our pastors. We would love to talk to you about a commitment to Jesus. We will miss out on the future that God has for us if we aren't experiencing life with Jesus for ourselves. Because at the end of the day, if we are not experiencing it ourselves, we won't invite others because we only invite others into what matters to us. And these things might sound incredibly simple, but I believe it is my job to say the simple things over and over and over again so that I do not let you off the hook and so that I do not let our church settle for anything less than the future that God has for us. God will use us to transform the world when we let Jesus transform our lives. If you're looking for a courageous future for your life, it starts with Jesus. And if we are looking for a courageous future for CPC, it starts with Jesus. Amen.